This episode of Testers Island Discs is sponsored by PractiTest. PractiTest is an end-to-end test management solution to organize, run, and visualize all of your QA efforts in one centralized hub. It incorporates all testing types, manual, exploratory, and automation for any testing methodology. Create a unified QA process and improve team communication with a vast array of built-in integrations and easily extract and view valuable insights from your real-time test results using advanced, customizable reports and dashboards. In short, make smarter decisions and release better software faster. To find out more, visit www.practitest.com or click the link in the episode description. Welcome to Testers Island Discs, your most musical guide to software testing. My name's Neil Studd, and I'll be your castaway companion. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Testers Island Discs, where today I'm talking to Angela Riggs. Angela is based out of Portland, Oregon, where she spends her time managing QA teams and coaching them on their quality processes. And when she's not testing, she's a keen reader and an aficionado of the Great British Bake Off. Welcome to the podcast, Angela. Thank you. I'm super happy to be here. It's uh, it's an interesting day. Just to give people a little peek behind the podcast curtain, we record these a few weeks in advance. And we scheduled this recording for four days after the US election. So I penciled in some time to talk about the <laughs> results, which uh, technically has been called about five minutes before we started recording. <laughs> Uh, it's it's an unusual one. I mean, I I'm, uh, I remember the, the 2000 election well with the, the runoff in Florida and the hanging chads and all that. But um, this this is something else altogether, isn't it? Yes, um, this is very different. Um, I remember 2000 in Florida, and I definitely remember 2016 here in Portland. Um, there's a lot of sort of shell shocked, um, and this was very on edge. Um, as we said, it just got called a few minutes before we started. Uh, you might hear some fireworks going off. People are very <laughs> excited. <laughs> um, like I know it's, you know, things are still coming in, like, but enough, you know, outlets have called it that I am very optimistic about that at least. Um, and we'll see what comes next. Yes, I mean, the, the country does seem to have a mandate for change. I mean, that's the way the vote has gone, uh, as, yeah. as it tends to do. Uh, I, I'm not sure whether it's going to inspire on the same level as Obama did, uh, but it is a change nonetheless. But I mean, there are certainly systemic issues, and it's it's not fair to play, place the blame entirely on the US, but there are systemic issues in the country that are ongoing. And uh, the mere change of a president isn't going to change, for example, the behavior of a police officer on the street overnight. Um, how, how, clo- how much further do you think this moves you towards some um, harmony within the country? Yeah. So I think that this outcome with with Biden winning, um, you know, being president-elect is the first step towards, it's a harm reduction step, right? Like Mm. if it had gone the other way, things would have gotten much worse, I think. Um, So this is like the first step to, this is a harm reduction step. This isn't the the solving. Um, You know, we still elected another old white man um, to the highest office. Um, And there's a lot of things that I think need to continue changing. Um, so it's not just at the national level, but at like the state by state level, um, the runoff in Georgia, you know, seeing how that goes. Um, I think there's a lot more that needs to change. And this is like step zero of being able to sort of bring about the kind of change that we not only want, but like we absolutely have to see in this country. 
Mm. I mean, ironically, we're going to be talking a lot about change on this podcast today, <laughs> but a lot we're going to talk particularly about how you deal with change. And I think should the result um, stick with Biden, as it seems to have been projected, um, a lot of it is going to be about the transfer of power now and, and how how um, gracefully it goes. Um, early signs are not good. No. Yeah, I was watching that press conference Um and I agree. Early signs are not great. Um, I know that here in Portland and other cities like there's Philadelphia, there's Seattle, there's Boston, like so many cities across the U.S. Um, have been doing the sort of um, have been on the grounds and protesting and um, advocating, you know, anti-fascism and supporting Black Lives and supporting the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and I think that um, that energy and that power that people have on the ground is going to be needed to continue. So. You know, in the U.S., like, you know, I'm not on the streets myself, but it's about supporting the mutual aid groups, the community groups, right? Like, uh, we take care of us is is one of the sort of mantras of it all. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really about, like, making sure that the people who are out there are supported, have what they need, um, whether it's medics, whether it's, you know, snack vans, whether it's gas masks for, you know, for people. Um, a lot of community support is going to be needed to continue. For sure. Yeah, there's still a way to go, certainly. I mean, 2020 has been a tough year for everybody. And I think <laughs> there's a little bit, a little bit more to, to, to go onto the bridge before, before this one's over. But yeah. uh, the good news for you is um, not only is our desert island COVID-free, but it's also free from access to the media. So yes. you're free start, sort of 45 <laughs> to 50 minutes away from that, if you allow yourself. Um, as I said, we're going to talk today about um, building internal QA departments within an organization. Mm-hmm. What is it that makes you so passionate about that? Yeah. Um, so building out QA and quality engineering departments, um, I think it's about the people in the process, um, which are two things that I really care about and I really like being thoughtful about. Um, the trick and the thing that I enjoy, because it is a little bit nuanced, is getting the balance right of finding the right processes and the right amount of processes in place to support people um, and to support the work that people are doing and the work that they want to be doing. Um, and it just like, it's <clears throat> sort of like finding the gaps and filling them. And I've always enjoyed doing that. Yeah. Process itself can be a dirty word. I mean, companies can be <laughs> stymied by process. And I mean, we look, um, you know, to, again, to paraphrase, you know, the election process is to, mm-hmm. for, for better or worse. Um, so we're going to talk about that in, in some detail as we go through, but before we do that, let's remind everyone of why you're here. You have been marooned on this desert Island. I should say, by the way, you've been waiting to, to wash up for, for over two years. You were the last <laughs> guests that I planned to have on before I took my little sabbatical. So uh, this has been a long time coming um, and your, your song selections have changed along the way but you've been allowed to bring five songs with you what's the first one that's accompanying you to the island yeah so the first song i'm bringing with me is from the beatles with a little help from my friends um and i'm bringing that song with me um because when i was a kid that is the song that my mom would sing when she would put me to bed oh um yeah so you know we're big my family is big on singing uh with varying levels of talent um, but the enthusiasm is always there. Um, so this is like a nice little memory from childhood of, of my mom. What do I do when my love is away?
That was with a little help from my friends by the Beatles. Now, Angela, we're talking about the process of building a QA department, which can be a, a long process. How do you know where to start when you're doing this? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. So if I'm being hired to essentially make a bunch of change, um, part of the process has to be good change management. Um, so good change management includes things like getting buy-in, uh, making sure people know what's coming and why the changes are coming. Um, I've always found it really useful to create resources for information and especially letting people know that I'm doing this with them and not to them, which I think is a really important distinction. Um, I really like starting out by listening and going on sort of a listening tour. Um, so like asking questions and paying attention to the current state of things, right? Like I, I can't make change and I can't introduce new process mm. if I don't have an awareness of the things that I'm changing. Um, so it's all about understanding like what's working and what's not and why things are working and why things aren't. Um, having one-on-one -on -one conversations with people in different roles and different teams, um, so looking at project managers and designers and team leads and developers and like finding where the gaps are for them and finding out what they want out of a QA department and what is important to them out of adding in quality processes. Yeah, there are so many different avenues you can tackle, particularly when you do start asking people, well, what do you think needs to change? Uh, I think I may have plugged this book on the podcast before, but I've really enjoyed the book, The First 90 Days by Michael Watkins, which is all about um, going in when you when you're going in to make change, you first need to establish what the changes that people want, so that you don't meet that resistance. Um, how do you make change so people don't hate you? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, because right, you're at the end of the day, like you're making change that people have to go along with. Um, and so, I think a lot of it comes to understanding um, how change affects people's core needs. Um, and core needs is something that I really like Paloma Medina's biceps model. Um, so the biceps model stands for belonging, improvement, uh, choice, equity, predictability, and significance. Um, and so everyone has those core needs, but some have them in different proportions. Um, so like for myself, choice is a really important core need for me. And so when change is happening, that's where my fear comes in is that I'm not going to have, you know, a choice about how things are getting laid out. Um, so it's having that sort of emotional awareness. And I think a big way of being able to address and sort of reassure people is erring on the side of over communication, um, letting them know that their input matters, um, making sure that they're sort of looped into the changes as you're going along and I think making small changes is a really big, um, is a really important way to go forward. Yeah. And I think it's really useful to focus on the objective you're trying to achieve rather than how you're going to do it. So you give people the autonomy to, to do it for themselves. I think that's a really important part of, you don't want to be seen as someone coming in, telling someone how to do their job, but you do want to be seen as someone who wants to get you towards a particular goal, uh, particularly around quality. And uh, if people can be empowered to find a way to do that themselves, then they feel a much bigger part of the process. Exactly. And I love um, that you use the word empowered. I think a lot of um, quality work is about empowering people to do their best work. The only issue that I found is quite often I hear people in my organizations who have all these grand ideas for change. The issue is we still have our day-to-day -day work to do that we've already got, and there are already so many hours in the day. How can you um, convince people to, to help support you when there is a, a time burden on them to assist with that? 
Uh, so that's a really good question. And I think a lot of it is just showing up and sort of proving out to them that you're in this with them. Um, so I think it's not only telling people what you're doing and how you're doing it, but showing them through the work that not only are you um, making change, but you're making their job easier through the change. Um, a lot of it was um, coming in on teams and like in the beginning, it's more for people to think about, you know, how do I incorporate quality when we're doing a discovery for a project and how do we incorporate quality when we're uh, planning the scope and when we're actually doing the development work. Um, but the sort of like showing up and like showing the work that I'm doing actually ended up taking work off their plates so that they don't have to be the ones thinking about quality. Um, you know, that's coming onto my plate by coming into the thinking about QA, thinking about the quality related work so they can focus on their core roles, whether it's strategy or design or project management. Um, so it's really just about like, in this case, I think doing the work and showing that having that consistent advocate for quality makes their lives easier. Yeah, you're not making them feel like they're having to go it alone. You are a, a part of the of the change process. There is loads um, more that we still want to talk about in the next section, um, but we should move on to the next song, um, which is your second choice today. Yes. Um, so this is A You Are Adorable uh, by Perry Como. And this has a really uh, sort of special place in my heart. Um, so I mentioned earlier that my family is full of uh, singing um, and especially so with my grandparents, with my mom's parents. Um, and this is a song that my grandfather would sing all the time. And, um, you know, he's, he's not with us now. He passed away a few years ago. Um, but even as he got older and he sort of um, had the onset of dementia, this was a song that he knew all the words to and could still sing with us. And it was just like a really nice way to continue connecting with him throughout, um, you know, his, his later years. When Johnny Jones was serenading Mary He sure could quote a lot of poetry But he'd much rather tell her What he learned in his speller When they both attended P.S. 33 A You're adorable B You're so beautiful that was Perry Como with A, You're Adorable. Now, we will talk about how you get buy-in for change when you're building QA departments. And there are many things that you may want to change. And as usual with everything in the industry, the context that you're working in is really important. But are there any sort of general purpose things that you can do when you're looking to, to improve quality within a company? Yeah. Um, I think um, one of the best quick wins that you can have is picking a project and just going all in on it. Um, and showing the difference that internal embedded QA could make, um, showing the benefit and showing the impact so that now you have a group of people who are joining you in advocating for the benefits of it, which I think makes a huge difference. Like, it, you know, getting people on your side, essentially getting that buy-in in a really quick, meaningful way um, makes your job much easier when you're the one sort of rolling out internal QA, whether it, you're starting from scratch or improving what's already there. Um, I think is is the best quick win. Yeah, I think that that is relatively easy to do when you're working on a so-called greenfield project where everything is new. You want to do everything right from the start. Mm -hmm. It can be harder to do when you're working with 
existing processes. And I know there's a there's a horrible saying, oh, it's always been done that way, which is, <laughs> is really hard to fight against sometimes. Um, when you're in a situation where you're meeting maybe resistance because it's always been done this way, how can you, what's your rebuttal to that? Um, I think the rebuttal to that is to ask why. Um, and I think if you have those conversations and you dig in a little bit, you'll find that even though it's always been done that way, the person saying that actually doesn't love the way it's being done. Um, mm. There's probably something that they would like to change, but they either don't have the time or energy to get the change made. Um, so you might just start with making the change that they want instead of making the change that you want um, to sort of like get their, their input and get them won over, so to speak. I think it's important to always go in with best intentions. Nobody is deliberately trying to sabotage your project. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully not, you know, as long as unless you're working on something particularly evil. But um, the problem is sometimes when you want to make that change, um, the scale of change can um, can seem overwhelming, particularly if you've got, for example, no hiring budgets. We're in a particularly tight state of the economy at the moment. If you identify that there is more work that needs doing than people available, how can you make that situation slightly easier? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and I think, the, especially from a budget point of view um, and a headcount point of view, that's a really um, something that's probably going to come up a lot. Um, so some of it is just doing the work yourself. Like when I first started, I was sort of playing out dual roles of both QA manager um, and creating this QA discipline and also as a QA engineer and actually doing the work. Um, and I think spending, you know, a quarter or two, you know, three to six months, um, proving it out is, can be really helpful to sort of show like what you can do with what you have. Um, in hindsight, I think that, um, it's important to make sure that there is a sort of like willingness for growth that companies are able to, um, bring on an additional person after those six months so you can continue showing the benefits. Otherwise you sort of flatline with the change you're able to make and the sort of impact you're able to have. Um, if there's truly no budget for that, you know, that extra QA role and for sort of ramping up the work that's being done, um, I might recommend pivoting to coach the developers on QA practices to help fill those gaps. Um, but also that might not be realistic for certain types of organizations. Um, so you might narrow your scope. So instead of trying to do it across the whole company and across all teams, pick one team or one project um, we're part of the product so that you can focus on continuing to ramp up the benefits of internal QA in a smaller area before you can try and do it across the whole company. You've actually hit upon quite a sore point for me. I'm someone who has been <laughs> trying for a long time to to lead by example. Uh, for example, I, I've been trying to introduce initiatives to improve quality within our team, mm -hmm. um, such as, for example, um, I, a more regular and closer look on our logging in production to identify recurring errors and that sort of thing. The issue is every time I've tried to lead something, I've ended up being the one that has to take ownership of it. So all I'm doing is making quality better by running myself into the ground. You've hit upon a really important point, which is when you're feeling overwhelmed, you need to, to sort of start pushing back and, and push that, those changes out and maybe look at coaching within the team and uh, see whether that can help. Yeah, definitely. I think that sort of being able to uh, narrow your focus and transfer ownership um, can be really helpful for you so that you're not burning out and you're not sort of running into the ground, as you said. And with that, we've hit upon the halfway point in the podcast. It's time to hear about your third song selection, Angela. 
Oh yeah, okay. Um, so this is a fun one. Um, this is Jackson by Johnny Cash and June Carter. And this song is the go-to song for uh, myself and my partner when we do karaoke. Um, we're both, we both really enjoy sort of like old country, um, you know, the Johnny Cash era. Uh, and this is a really fun one for us to do a duo on and he'll take Johnny Cash and I'll do June Carter. Um, and it's just a really fun, fun karaoke song. Lots of good energy. We got married in a fever Hotter than a pepper sprout We've been talking about Jackson Ever since the fire went out I'm going to Jackson I'm gonna mess around Yeah, I'm going to Jackson Look out Jackson Town that was Johnny Cash and June Carter with Jackson, one of Angela's karaoke classics. Now, Angela, I've seen you talk before about quality being part of a company's culture. Now, the word culture is something that means different things to different people, but it tends to be something that unfolds organically. It's difficult to force. But is there anything you could do to give it a push along? Yeah. Um, so culture does tend to be organic, but it's not uh, self-pollinating, so to speak. It doesn't grow in a vacuum. Uh, I really like Mecca O'Karaki's definition of culture as a set of behaviors that are rewarded and punished. Um, so for how does that apply to sort of bringing in quality as a part of a, a company's culture? Um, so I think about what are the behaviors I want to reward? Um, and because I taught early childhood before I came into tech, I do try to focus on the reward part of the culture. And I try to redirect if it's not quite the behavior that I want to see. Um, so as far as building that, that culture of quality, um, I really think it's about being an advocate and a positive advocate as much as possible and really showing people why that model of internal embedded quality matters and why it matters to them. Um, so encouraging curiosity about how quality can be incorporated, uh, inviting people to ask questions, to share their thoughts and experiences, um, good or bad, about you know working with quality assurance in the past. Um, and really showing how quality benefits the work that they're doing. Yeah, it's interesting that you phrase it in terms of behaviors, because these are things that sometimes you find yourself having to think about a lot. It, it's quite, um, it's almost like type one, type two thinking. You, you, First of all, you have to be really thinking, oh, I'm going to behave in this way. But over time, they become a part of what you do and you find you're not having to think about it so much. Yeah, exactly. Um, ideally, the, the the goal is to sort of normalize it. So it just becomes like sort of an inherent, um, implicit part of, part of how people work, rather than something that has to be like explicitly focused on and incorporated um, as something that's unusual. It's just, this is how we work. And that's just sort of like the accepted way that you work from now on and how you move forward is like, yep, if we're planning a project, this is how we incorporate quality. And it's just the expectation instead of something that's outside the norm. And so to what extent are these behaviors, um, do, do you actually externalize them by, for example, writing them down? I mean, I've, I've, I've had experience with trying to get quality mentioned explicitly in some form in the, the definition of done within agile. Um, mm -hmm. Is this something that you would often document? I think it depends on what it is, um, and I think it's it can come in different ways. Um, for instance, my most recent role was at an agency, so part of like um, starting a project is creating like a technical design doc, 
Um, so it's about like just being, you know, making sure that um, we're talking about the browser support and the sort of devices that we're going to test on and making sure that we note down what accessibility standards we're adhering to. Um, and then um, actually accessibility is, a, was, I think, was really important at the, the company. Um, it was something that everyone felt really strongly about, um, but it wasn't really well documented. And that is definitely a part of sort of quality and testing. Um, so one of the things that I did was to create a set of resources for accessibility um, so that it was easier for people to think about that and incorporate into the work they were doing. So like common design patterns that come up a lot or keyboard navigation or screen readers, just really sort of uh, lowering the barrier for people to um, incorporate that sort of, you know, that perspective of quality into their work, whether it was, you know, design or development um, or project management. So just making it easier to bring that in and sort of, I think documenting that way is useful so people can pull information to themselves instead of counting on me to push information to them all the time. A phrase I've seen you use before is um, the so-called hikers mantra. And that's, as someone who's, who's a walker, I'm familiar with the phrase. Um, can you <laughs> tell people what it is and, and how it applies to what you do? Yeah. So the hikers mantra is leave it better than you found it. Um, and when it applies to sort of hiking in nature, it's about like, you know, going in and like not only cleaning up after yourself, but like if you're finding trash that someone else left along the way, pick that up as well. Right. Like just do the extra work for the benefit of all. Mm -hmm. um, and I know it's kind of corny. Uh, right. Like, but I think it is a really nice way to sum up the way I like to operate. And I think it applies to, um, I think it applies to the, the quality culture as well as like the culture of the company as a whole. Um, so in my most recent job, I was brought in to create the quality engineering discipline. And I just went in with this mantra, you know, leave it better than you found it every day. Um, and like, was I successful? And I think, yes. I improved the way teams were able to plan projects, um, the way they carried out projects by bringing in embedded QA, by updating the process for people, um, and by sort of showing the benefits of it and getting everyone to understand like why this mattered and why it was good for them. Um, and so absolutely, like I know that it's something that people expect now and that they look for in their work. Um, you know, it's no longer the sort of, we'll just throw in QA at the last two weeks and we'll probably be fine. It's, hey, we know that we need QA throughout the whole project and it's really important to us now. And so I think I really did have that sort of positive impact. Yeah, this is where one of my special skills comes into play. Whenever I work for a company, I always seem to gain an obsessive knowledge in my head of everything in our JIRA backlog. For some reason, <laughs> it's just it's just the thing I do. Like to the extent that I can just rattle off the numbers of tickets. Uh, I don't know wh <laughs> where, where I'm finding that space in my brain, but it means that, for example, um, when I'm making sure that we're included in um, like a kickoff kickoff meeting at the start of a story, um, right. it's really used to have me in there in particular because I can go. Well, there are these two or three other things that I know about that we logged ages ago and. We're never going to get around to doing them. But if we were to do them now, it really wouldn't cost us very much at all. So, yeah, as part of this general process of, well, while we're there, let's do this, this and this, because now is the best time to do that. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we're fast approaching the home stretch. Um, just a, a, apologies to listeners if you're hearing fireworks in the background. Here in the UK, it's uh, we've just had fireworks night. So this weekend, we're seeing a, a lot of uh, fireworks <laughs> go off for the 5th of November. Uh, Angela, you mentioned before we, we kicked <laughs> off that you're getting a, a lot of fireworks yourself, for, maybe for different reasons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, let's get a soundtrack to those fireworks. What is your fourth song that you've picked today? Oh, yeah. So my fourth song is Aha, Take On Me. 
And this is my personal go-to karaoke song. Um, so my karaoke style um, is, so a lot, some people go to karaoke in groups and everyone is sort of respectful of the person while they're singing their song and everyone takes their turn. Um, but I tend to go to karaoke with groups of people where um, it is a little more like chaotic enthusiasm. Um, so Take On Me is always like a really good crowd pleaser. It's a super high energy song. Um, you're definitely dancing to it. At some point, you're probably choosing between uh, breathing and singing because you're so out of breath from it. <laughs> uh, so it's definitely one of my favorite songs to do at karaoke. Once again, taking a dip into the well of karaoke, that's Aha with Take On Me. Now, we've spoken so far about coming into an organization that has existing processes in place where you want to to build upon them. Um, I've certainly had experiences of being the first tester who's joined a company, or even if not that, sometimes when people are working in, um, call them squads or whatever, where you're the only Mm -hmm. tester responsible on a particular project. How do you deal with being the very first person who's been ever asked to look at a quality profile within a company? Yeah, um, it can be a little lonely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, it's nice to have a team of people that you're collaborating with. um, But when you're the first or the only QA, um, it, you know, it's going to mean that you're on your own a bit for some things. Uh, And so I think it's really important to sort of make connections with the people and the teams around you um, and sort of build that relationship and build that trust, um, which is where you go on towards building that collaboration. Um, so really just finding ways to um, be a part of a team or be a part of those collaborative conversations so that it's not just you um, and sort of work with that goal in mind. Yeah, and it would be remiss for me to not point out organizations such as Ministry of Testing who have places you can go where you can ask questions and feel like you're not alone if you actually are. And for as much as I, I, um, I avoid the grief of social media a lot of the time, <laughs> Places like Twitter is a really great place to go to say, hey, I'm picked up this tool for the first time. I don't know how to do X, Y, Z. Has anyone got any experience with that? Absolutely. Um, I'm actually, I am pretty active on social media, especially Twitter. Um, And both Twitter and Ministry of Testing have been really useful communities for me um, and actually been a really big part of not only getting started in the quality and testing space, but continuing to be impactful in that space. So there are resources out there to, to help you, even if you are technically the only person working within the team with, with quality in mind. But is there a danger that if you're the only person there who is, has the job title of tester or QA, is there a danger that you could fall into the trap of being the one who's responsible for quality? Yes, um, there is absolutely that danger. And so I think being mindful about that is super important. Um, so part of creating, whether you're creating a whole department, whether you're just introducing it to a single team, um, I think one of the really important things to be mindful about is setting a foundation of whole team quality. Um, none of that gatekeeper BS that we hear about sometimes. Um, QA engineers are, um, I think, I think of us as sort of stakeholders for quality, um, but we're not the only ones responsible for it. 
Um, ideally it's about like coaching and educating everyone on quality practices across roles, um, and really sort of like making everyone a part of that vision for quality and a part of making that vision a reality. Uh, I think what happens sometimes is that you create a vision of quality where like you're the linchpin and it will fail if you're removed from the equation. Um, but ideally you want to create something where everyone has a part to play and where everyone is invested um, so that everyone cares about making it happen and like sort of keep it moving forward. Hmm. Trying to get everyone on board is obviously a difficult process and you you may find there are one or two people who are sometimes just resistant or they, they have reasons for, for not wanting to get involved. Um, do you sometimes just have to let that slide or do you, do you, are there other people you have to work hardest on? Um, I think the answer is it depends. Um, and it depends on what the resistance is. Like, is it really just, I understand it's important, but I don't want to have to do any work for it. You know, that can slide for a little bit, but at some point it's really just like, Hey, this is how it is. And like, this is the part that you have to play. Um, you know, if, especially if I'm you know, if you're coming in and you're the company hired you specifically to build out QA, the company is invested in that. And so at some point, it's the direction the company is going and people do have to get on board. Um, so kind of that top-down support is really important and can sort of play come into play there. Um, but it's also like being flexible is important, right? Like is somebody resistant for a, a valid reason? Um, you know, being flexible and being able to adapt to what those reasons are is, is also really useful. Like you said uh, from the start, it's uh, communication is, is absolutely key. It's understanding what people feel about the way things are and what they feel about the way things are going. Uh, and yeah, it's completely context dependent, but there's, there are some really useful tips that you've given us here today about uh, either if you're the first tester within a company or you're trying to improve QA processes within a company. I noticed that you're quite comfortable with using the term QA, which some people see as a bit of a dirty word. I'm someone who couldn't give a hoot what it's called as, as long as it's done. <laughs> do you feel the same way? I do feel the same way. I think QA is an easy way to talk about it. Um, I do think context matters, and I think that it shouldn't matter what it's called, but sometimes it does. Um, so I've been a little bit, actually, I know in here I've been referring it to QA a lot, um, but at my most recent company, I was trying to sort of refer to the sort of embedded testing as the quality assurance that was under the larger umbrella of quality engineering. Um, and I think that that quality engineering phrase as an uh, sort of broader term helps with spreading it across the company and incorporating different roles, right? So how does quality engineering affect design? How does quality engineering affect project planning? Um, and so that QA is sort of like one part of it to also sort of broaden people's understanding and their definition of what QA means. You know, it's not just, you know, a checklist on a ticket of what the requirements are, but it's thinking about the risk analysis. It's thinking about the user experience. It's thinking about um, accessibility, thinking about what, you know, the client or the stakeholders perspective is and making sure that you're, you're meeting those needs. Um, so I think it, it can matter depending on people's existing experience with the phrase and what they think it means. But I think, as you pointed out, it's also about that communication and just making sure people understand what you mean when you say QA or what you mean when you say quality engineering. 
Yeah, it's used a lot in my current organization, and I don't really have a problem with it. The issue I have is when people use phrases like um, the QAs, and what they mean is <laughs> they think they mean the people who care about quality. Like, oh, we'll need to talk to the QAs about this. When they mean, it's a shortcut for we need to think about quality, and they're trying to push it onto just uh, the two of us within the team who are dedicated testers. And I'm like, well, hang on. What do you mean <laughs> the QAs? <laughs> and then we get to the bottom of what the issue actually is. Like you say, communication, as usual. Um <laughs> So we've come to your final song selection today, and this one is um, something special, I think. Yes. So this is a little closer to home. Um, this is the song is called Malarif, and it's from Empires of Light, which is actually the um, solo uh, music from my my partner Josh. Um, I've been baking over the pandemic and he's been making music. <laughs> um, he's actually part of a, a band with other people called Elsia. Um, but during the pandemic, they've also been kind of working on solo things. And so Empires of Light is his solo work. And Malarif, um, I think it's super cool. It's the first song that he like wrote and produced and mastered on his own. And, um, you know, I've mentioned a couple of times that I come from a musical family, but I myself in spite of my enthusiasm for karaoke singing, I don't have talent for music. I don't have an ear for music. Um, and so I'm always blown away by people's sort of um, creative pursuits that are so different from my own. And so I think it's just really impressive that, um, you know, he's sort of, you know, guitar here and bass here and drums here. And then he creates something that like sounds really good and that I want to listen to. Um, and so, you know, there's a little bit of like, I'm proud of him, which sounds a little uh, sappy, but it's true. Um, and so, yeah, this is uh, a really cool song. That was Malarif by Empires of Light, which is available on Spotify, as with all the other songs that we've spoken about. It's also available on Bandcamp. I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to hear that. Uh, personally, absolutely love it. It's a genre that I'm really into, sort of post-rock instrumental stuff. Uh, UK bands like 65 Days of Static and Mogwai are, are right up my alley. And I was, as soon as I listened to this, I was like, wow, okay. I'm really interested to hear what Josh does next. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah, that's a great discovery for me today. Um, well, there's one thing left for us to discover on this trip to the island, which is what book you would take with you if you were marooned on an island and you had one book for the rest of your life. You've got the rest of the books that have already been brought to the island to choose from, but what are you contributing? Yes. Um, so this is a really hard question. I have been an avid reader since I was a kid. And this kind of question always makes me like, I'll name a book and then I'll name five more books and then I'll name 10 more books. <laughs> yeah, when you first submitted in 2018, you narrowed it down to three authors at least. <laughs> exactly. I couldn't even pick a single book from one of my favorite authors. Um, but so recently I just finished um, Mother Joffrey's memoir, Climbing the Mango Trees, which was excellent. Um, and then I'm currently reading uh, The Crown Ain't Worth Much from Hanif Adjurakib, um, which is sort of um, a collection of like poems and essays. And I, I believe it's his first uh, published book. Um, and he has several to choose from. And I have actually those lined up next. Um, the pandemic's been super stressful and I've been having a hard time reading fiction. Uh, mm -hmm. But I've been really into both 
food memoirs, like climbing the mango trees, and into like poetry and essay collections, like this, uh, like currently ain't worth much. Uh, I will absolutely allow you to to have an honourable mention in there, but I am going to force you to narrow it down to one. Rules okay. are rules. Okay, so one, I would go with um, climbing the mango trees because that one. I would probably reread over and over. And also it has recipes at the end so I can keep myself fed when I'm on the island. <laughs> yeah, and you may well find there is a mango tree or two on the island. Too, and so <laughs> the artwork suggests there is. So uh, we, we, we shall see. Thank you very much for those song selections and your book choice today. The books are all listed on our list on Goodreads, which is linked in the show notes, as is the Spotify playlist for anyone who wants to hear all the songs from Angela or previous guests. This is the point in the podcast where we normally ask what's coming up next. Now, I'm guessing you haven't got a lot of in-person stuff, but do you have anything? Um, this will be going out around the end of November. Is there anything coming up before the end of the year you'd like to promote? No, there's no other talks coming up. Um, I would promote that I am looking for a job. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you are looking to roll out a quality engineering or quality assurance program at your company, um, or you're hiring a QA manager that cares a lot about people um, and about improving process and like thinking, uh, being thoughtful about company culture. I'm your gal. Give me a ring. And finding that, I suppose you can hook up a business where you uh, bake and make music together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we do talk about like what business would we go into if we weren't in tech. Um, mm. And the most recent thought is fried chicken sandwiches. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I, I guess you would uh, you would struggle to ship those internationally, but they, they would certainly be the demand <laughs> among those who are stuck at home now. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today, Angela. It's it has been a long time coming, and uh, yeah, I've really, obviously there is an energy in the air today after everything that's gone on in the US, uh, and and long may that continue. Uh, if people would like to get hold of you uh, and share some of their experiences or, or get in touch with you about work, where are the best places they can do that? Yes. Um, so I am active on Twitter at, um, and I think you'll link to this, but at Angela Riggs with an underscore at the end. Um, and you can go on my website, angelariggs.github.io and read not just about my articles that I've written and sort of look at past talks that I've given, um, but I also have a blog post on there about a reverse job hunt and sort of what I'm looking for uh, for my next role. Super. Yeah, I'd never heard of the, the concept of a reverse job hunt before. So I was really interested to read that. And actually, yeah, that's something I may uh, take on board for the future when, when I'm next looking. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure and full of really useful tips for everybody. Thank you very much for spending time with me today, Angela. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been a real pleasure. Uh, and if people would like to get hold of the podcast, you can get, get us on Twitter at Testers Island. And we'll speak to you all next month. We'll speak to you on December, the end of 2020. It's felt like it will never end, but the end is <laughs> the end is nigh. That's probably a bad choice of phrase. <laughs> uh, fingers crossed and, and all the best for uh, both for the job hunt and, uh, and for what's coming next in the US. Yeah, thank you so much. And I'll speak to you all again soon. Bye, everyone. Test Design and Discs is brought to you by Ministry of Testing, written and produced by Neil Studd. Theme music by Green Day. Follow us on Twitter at Testers Island. Yeah.